Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. We're celebrating our 10th year on the air this year. Thanks for listening to the past 10 years, and thanks for listening this week. A couple of guests coming up on today's show. Peter Rupi, who is the president of Alchemy Global. He's a former senior executive with Nike. Really interesting guy. He'll join me on this week's show. Also, Rebecca Pfefferman. She is the head of South by Sports, which is part of the South by Southwest lineup. A really terrific event coming up next March. I met Rebecca at my event, the Sports PR Summit, this past May in New York. We'll catch up with Rebecca Pfefferman. I think you'll like her, very interesting person, uh, interesting path she's taken to where she is. And again, South by Sports, an emerging event that you should know about. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog, download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Uh, coming off a good 4th of July and uh, had a, having a good summer so far. And just uh, was into the World Cup, Wimbledon, uh, lots of fun stuff going on for me as far as sports viewing. Yeah, World Cup, uh, great ratings on ESPN for the games. We've seen record-setting ratings when the U.S. men's national team played. They broke that 1999 record of the Women's World Cup final. So great interest. You know, anytime you see venues like Soldier Field and uh, large stadiums, Filled with people who are watching a soccer game on the other side of the planet, Griggs. That means that soccer is definitely growing here in the United States. Yeah, I love those scenes where they go to the fans when the goals are scored, and it's this whole stadium just going insane. It's it's fun to watch, and it's cool because it's you know it's only every four years, so you really amp up for it, you get really pumped for it, and it's fun to see these countries just give their all for these games. It's fun, really fun. Interesting stat: one point four billion dollars spent by. Uh, official sponsors of the World Cup, only 36% of those of people recognize those sponsors as, as World Cup sponsors. So kind of interesting, the, the correlation. They spend lots of money, but do people really recognize those sponsors more? Do they associate them with World Cup? The other interesting thing to me, Griggs, we saw yesterday, uh, Brazil just got destroyed at home. Their hopes of winning the World Cup on their home soil dashed by Germany. I haven't watched a lot of soccer in my life, but I've never seen a team in a semifinal beat another team by a 7-1 to score. Seven goals in a soccer match is like scoring 180 points in the NBA. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I was sitting in here watching in my studio, and everybody around the station here was like, what, 4 nothing? What, 5 nothing? I mean, it was crazy, and it all happened like so quick. Those first five, it was crazy. So Germany uh, certainly looks like the team to beat. We'll see. We'll discuss all of the World Cup uh, happenings on and off the field uh, on our next show and break down the World Cup. Obviously, we'll know the results and who 
has gone on to, to victory. The other thing that we'll be discussing is NBA free agency. Griggs, this has gotten out of hand. The, you know, minute by minute LeBron watch. What's Carmelo Anthony doing? Is Houston going to sign Chris Bosch? All of this stuff. I have been saying staunchly on Twitter at SB Radio, and we'll see if I'm right or wrong. And, and I do have some inside information. Uh, LeBron James, to me, it makes no sense for him to leave Miami at this point. I would look for him to go back to the Heat on a short-term contract, a one-to-two-year deal. Then he gives himself more options. If he wanted to go back to Cleveland, he could see what that looks like at that point. But you know, if you're trying to tell me that LeBron James is going to go back to Cleveland and play for a coach, David Blatt, that's never coached a day in the NBA, has no track record in the NBA. David Griffin, a brand new GM, really smart guy, but brand new GM. Andrew Wiggins has never played a game in the NBA. This is a guy, LeBron James, who wants to win rings now. Cleveland does not seem like a situation where you're going to win rings now. In Miami, on the other hand, you have Pat Riley. You have Mickey Arison, the owner. You have Eric Spolstra. You have teammates like Dwayne Wade and probably Chris Bosh who sticks around if LeBron comes back. You've been championship tested. Are you telling me that uh, all of a sudden you're going to leave a known entity when again, you know, you're not 20 years old anymore. You're trying to win rings now as opposed to, all right, I'm going to go to Cleveland and yeah, it's home, but I don't know that I'm going to get rings anytime soon. And I'm just not buying it. I think if you read the tea leaves, it says LeBron going back to Miami. But I know there's a lot of people that think he's going to Cleveland, especially after a big trade that we saw earlier today where Cleveland cleared cap space to be able to give LeBron a a max contract, which he wants and and deserves. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) It is crazy seeing that. I mean, the media just eats this up. And, you know, I find myself viewing it and, you know, following Twitter and wondering what's going to happen next. But, you know, is it all going to lead up to a Jim Gray and LeBron decision part two? Well, no, it's not. But the thing that's interesting here is you could argue there are going to be people in Cleveland that are more upset with LeBron this time around if he doesn't return to Cleveland than they were when he left originally. And they're going to say, why do you continue to play this mind game with us? Why don't you just say you're going to Miami? And you know what? That's a good argument. If you look at Tim Duncan, if you look at Dirk Nowitzki, if you look at Kevin Durant, Three future Hall of Famers, I tweeted this out, they all sign their contracts with no drama. They sometimes take below market value. Duncan and Dirk have definitely taken below market value on their last few contracts, and you could argue on the open market, each one of them would have been paid a lot more money. When you see someone like Gordon Hayward offered $64 million by the Charlotte Hornets, you're telling me that he's worth more than Dirk Nowitzki or Tim Duncan? It just doesn't make sense, but LeBron has always been about the fanfare and the drama and, you know, Carmelo Anthony, this is his first ride through free agency. So he's taking full advantage of creating the drama around it as well. It's interesting. I'm not a big fan of it. I know a lot of my fellow reporters are not a big fan of it, but it is what it is. LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Teams are going to bend over backwards for him. Executives like Pat Riley and Phil Jackson and others are going to fall all over themselves to try and get LeBron on their team. 
And, you know, it is what it is. But I just will be very surprised if LeBron James ends up leaving Miami. I've said that all along, and I'm going to continue to stick to that as we approach later today when Pat Riley and LeBron James get together and meet in Las Vegas. Yeah, I agree with you, too. I think he 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 built this hub up because I think he knows he's the best player. And, you know, on that side of it, I get, you know, hey, he should go where he wants and see what offers are out there. But I respect the Durants and the uh, Duncans that just sign the contract and play ball. You know, that's that is what I, I respect in the players a lot more that way. By the way, uh, I always get some interesting follows on Twitter. And literally, as we've been uh, talking here, I have my Twitter up. And I want to give a shout out to at. Tay Diggs, actor Tay Diggs is now following me on Twitter. I think that's a that's a random follow. I wouldn't expect to get a, a follow from Tay Diggs, but Tay Diggs, if you're listening, uh, I like your movies, I like your work on TV, and uh, thanks for the follow. And everyone out there, go follow uh, at Tay Diggs at T A Y E D I G G S. Pretty random to see. Uh, who you connect with on Twitter over the years definitely have connected with some people that I would have never expected to, whether they're athletes, journalists, executives, and now Tay Diggs. You've made it. You've reached the top. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Coming up next, Peter Rupe, who is the president of Alchemy Global, interesting company in the sports space. He's a former senior executive with Nike. We'll catch up with him and find out what he's doing now how the sports business space is changing. Also, Rebecca Fefferman coming up later in the show. She's the head of South by Sports, part of the South by Southwest lineup in Austin. I've never been, but I'm going to make sure that I get there in March and check out the new South by Sports lineup that they've got going on there. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. 
My guest is Peter Rupi. He is the president of Alchemy. He spent 27 years at Nike. He led Nike's global basketball business for nearly a decade. He worked closely with Michael Jordan and pioneered Nike's shift to separate Jordan into an independent brand. After Nike, he worked with Pete Carroll on the development of his coaching platform, Win Forever. Peter, welcome to Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into uh, what you're doing now with Alchemy, I'd love to go back to your days at Nike. And obviously, 27 years, you've seen a lot of growth at the company. But one of the things that I was always interested in, and I know our listeners have always been interested in, is the decision to break apart the Jordan brand from Nike. I think it was one of the most brilliant sports business decisions of my lifetime. Take us back to that time and how that decision went down. Sure. Uh, it really started, I would say, in about 1990. And at that point, I was leading the, the business for basketball. And we really had Nike basketball and we had Jordan. And they both overlapped in an area called flight. So if you looked at it, we were already starting to subset business and trying to break it down. We were gaining significant market share. And we were starting to say, hey, if we could break these up a little bit more tangibly, we could actually become the one and two and maybe three largest brands in basketball. So that would make it even tougher for our competitors. So we started to think about it as early as 1990 when we had a, a subset in, in Nike basketball called Force, another one called Flight, which also had a nice tethering in terms of some design language with Jordan. So in 1990 with Jordan, we started to remove any of the external logoing the, the Nike logoing off of the Jordan product. So it was more and more carried by simply the marks of, of uh, Michael Jordan and brand Jordan and the Jumpman. And, you know, we got to where the only place you could find the Nike logo at, at a certain point was on the sock liner inside the shoe. Everything external to that was only the Jordan brand. So we were already conscious of it moving in that direction. And then there was a really a forcing event. And that happened in September of 1993 when Michael decided to step away from basketball. And he did that for personal reasons. And uh, we had a decision to make. I mean, where was this brand going to go from here? And given I was in the strategic business leadership role, I was the one who was making sure that everybody could see the same vision. And a lot of people at Nike did. I mean, there were some who were thinking, hey, Michael's out of game. We're not going to be able to sell Jordan product. We certainly heard that from folks internally. But we we understood that hey, Michael's runway and his the nature of what he'd done, even if he never played basketball again at that point, was so magnificent that people would continue to celebrate this product for a long time. So we just made sure that we wrote the plan, made it very, very clear and tangible what we intended to do, how that influenced Michael's behavior going forward. I mean, we we created business cards for him. We created a bunch of mock product lines in terms of things we could maybe do in the future. We did a whole Italian influence apparel line that we showed him. In fact, one of the jackets out of that sample range, he actually wore on Saturday Saturday Night Live during that time period. So we really seeded it well with him to say, look, you know, you can be this this entrepreneur. You can run this business. This is what you might want to do. We, we had an office for him in the, in the Michael Jordan building. So we really solidified in his mind that this was real and we were committed and we're going to make it happen. We rewrote a, a deal term with him that went out into a very long period of time, and yeah, we we just stayed with it. I made sure that we kept resources on the business, 
we were we were designing shoes with him in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, while he's playing for the Barons, as opposed to being in uh, in Deerfield, uh, Illinois, at his at his home there. So we made the adjustments. We kept moving. Uh, we kept energy behind that brand, and it, it obviously turned out really really well. And and actually today, I think Jordan Brand probably uh, outdoes Nike basketball in terms of his business. Yeah, it's amazing his longevity post-career. You know, I've had David Falk, Michael Jordan's mm-hmm. longtime agent, on this show, and he talked about when he did the deal with Nike, it wasn't just an endorsement deal. It was a partnership. Tiger Woods has a partnership with Nike Golf. We see other athletes that have partnerships with the brands that they represent. And if you think about it, it's such a more uh, sustainable business model. The athlete is much more interested in being a partner because you're more ingrained. And also, like you said, when the career is over, they can make that kind of their, their business. And it's worked out very, very well for Michael Jordan. Yeah. And, and he is actively engaged. They've got an incredible leader in Larry Miller on that business today. We were very, very happy when Larry came on board at Nike. And then when he transitioned to take the leadership role there, that was fantastic. And he and the core group that have been on the business ever since have done a great job. And I think that's a lot of even just to jump ahead for a moment. What I've learned that inspires me to build the alchemy business is that we look at this and say there's so many opportunities out there and so many folks that want to make that next step in their career that are elite athletes and high-level performers. And they've learned how to perform at a high level like Michael has. And it was just our work to try to keep him engaged with our business despite basketball and everything else, keep him highly informed, put decision rights on his plate, make him really feel like this is your business. And he, you know, he grew with this and uh, he did a phenomenal job and continues to. And I'm hopeful that it helps him with uh, what he does with the Bobcats as well. So Alchemy Global is the first crowdfunding platform in the sports and entertainment market. You're working with athletes like Greg Norman, Jim Courier, Boris Becker, Talk to us about what you're doing and why it's unique. So what we're trying to do is provide a suite of services for those that are developing their companies in sports and entertainment. So what we want to be able to do is offer everything from helping them raise capital to any advisory services that may be of value to them in terms of either brand development, product development, operational excellence, or uh, even helping them to find team members and develop their culture. So the experience set that we have is a collective group of uh, executives can come in and, and really make a big difference. And we seldom see an opportunity where, you know, there's companies that, that can help you with all this. You know, normally it's either going to be in advisory services or raising capital. The, the second piece with Alchemy is that what we're looking at is what's occurring in crowdfunding and especially owing to the Jobs Act, which gives us more opportunities to reach out to accredited investors in the in the real investment community and offer up early stage companies for investment. And that's really one of the most unique things. So if someone were to visit our website at alchemyglobal.com, they'll find that we've got three clients in there now that we're actively raising money for. So we can promote those companies, we can tell their story for them and help uh, draw accredited investors in to work with them and help us to scale their businesses. So that's something that's very, very unique. I mean, this hasn't really happened yet in the market for sports entertainment. There's been crowdfunding, and a lot of that's either philanthropic or not really 
equity-based um, and uh, true accredited investor-based opportunities. If uh, one more piece of this, if you look at it from the side of an investor coming in, someone of, of higher net worth that qualifies as what, what is legally known as an accredited investor, normally this type of offering isn't available to them. They're, they can work through um, their wealth management or themselves and buy stocks and bonds and other assets, but seldom do they get a look into companies that, you know, maybe someday become the next Under Armour or the next Beats or somebody like that. And, you know, normally those markets are closed to them. That's a, that's a space that venture capital plays in, private equity plays in. But now going to the laws, we can open up those opportunities. And that's the type of thing we're trying to do. So it looks like you've got a list of former athletes or older athletes that you're working with. Are you working with any young current athletes? Not at this particular time. We, we've just gotten started. We just launched a week ago. We've got three clients up here that we're working with right now that are great early stage companies. And as, as they start to form, those will be opportunities for us to actually look out into the, in, these, in this case, athlete community and try to draw some folks in. And we've got some loose conversations happening around Sorelli, which is a soccer-based concept. And there's some things that make sense there. And then there's another one with 110% play harder, which is a recovery-based uh, concept for sport. So both those are probably going to create those opportunities um, for that to occur. What does someone need to present you with if they're not one of those big-name former athletes to convince you to work with them and say, okay, uh, I think you've got a future? I think what it boils down to is what's the vision? I mean, we talked about that with Jordan. What it was about was creating this next level of vision. And David Falk did a great job working with Nike at the beginning to talk about partnership, a sense of a unique brand around Michael. He helped to solidify that. He was really great at representing that vision. Later, brand Jordan is a separate concept. And for us, if we reach out there and we spend time with, whether it's an athlete or a celebrity or an entrepreneur, we want to get a sense as to where they really want to take this. What's this looking like? How passionate are they about it? How determined are they to, to create something uh, of value going forward? So that's the first step. And then the next step, obviously, coming right behind that is, well, where are you now? And how far along are you? And, and for me personally, I'll step into just about any situation and say, okay, how do I help you from here? Regardless of, of whether they become a client of ours or not, it's, let's be helpful. Let's try to build a relationship and see if we can help through networking or know-how to, to guide you forward. And then, then we'll just see where, where it comes from there. And in, in the cases of the current clients we have, that's, that's how the process started. Peter Rupe, he is the president of Alchemy. You can find more about them at alchemyglobal.com. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on Sports Business Radio. Let's catch up again sometime soon. Great. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. You're listening yeah. to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Carry on, carry on. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. 
The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Rebecca Pfefferman. She is the head of South by Sports, also South by Southwest. South by Sports will take place in Austin, Texas next March 13th to the 15th. Rebecca and I met in May at my event, the Sports PR Summit in New York City. Rebecca, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Thanks for having me, too. So a lot of people know South by Southwest. It's a very popular event for many years. Last year, you guys added a sports track. Tell us how that idea came about and and why adding a sports track. Sure. Um, Well, the the brief background on it is that we've actually been featuring some sports-related programming for a number of years. The film festival has, has always had sort of a handful of sports-related films, and they had a handful of panels on the interactive track um, that were sports-related. And um, it's a passion area of mine. And a couple years ago, I put together a panel for the film festival on sports filmmaking following the death of Steve Sable. I felt like you know, what he did with NFL films was so influential on, on storytelling in general. And as a sports fan and a, and a film fan, it, it seemed um, we'd be remiss not to feature it and discuss it. And following that panel, I was so excited about what we've, we've been able to put together there with Connor Shell from ESPN Films and Ross Greenberg, who ran HBO Sports for many, many years, and uh, as well as Ken Rogers from NFL Films. Um, uh, one of the people I had originally discussed joining the panel was Mike Tolan, who works with Mandalay Sports and has been producing films for many years. And he he and I continued the conversation and had some great talks about um, wanting to do more sports programming. And as I started rolling that around in my head, it seemed like perhaps there was something we could actually put together in a bigger scope within the context of South by Southwest. So that's sort of the genesis of South by Sports, um, which then started last year as it's sort of, we call it a convergence track. It's kind of a micro event within the overall event. It's a three-day footprint that features elements from both the interactive festival and the film festival. So it's convergent in that way. So over those three days, tell our listeners how many conversations are going on. And like you said, there some of them are going on concurrently. Yeah, well, this, I mean, the scale of South by Southwest in general is pretty, pretty massive. Um, the South by Sports programming in particular um, is predominantly takes place in one venue. It's three panel rooms going full time for three days. So it, it ends up being about 50 sessions. Um, as well as one, at least one, hopefully more, major featured session per day that takes place at the um, Austin Convention Center in one of our bigger rooms. So that's um, three days of panels, you know, starting at 9.30 a.m. and going until 6 p.m. in three different rooms running concurrently. And then simultaneously, we also will feature films that are part of the official film festival program all over the program, not in any one particular category, but those will be also branded South by Sports. And for us, um, as South by Sports is a convergence track, what that means for us is both topicality um, in terms of a convergence of content makes sense for both the film and interactive festival, as well as a, a term for access. So all of the South by Sports programming is open to our film registrants and our interactive registrants. 
So the films where interactive registrants might not have been able to access before, if they're branded South by Sports, they can go to those as well. So the film side is a little more complimentary. The main meat of it is the panel programming. And then we'll have some, you know, supporting events, parties and happy hours and, you know, a few lounges, things like that. You guys had an incredible lineup for your first year. Bill Simmons and Nate Silver of Grantland. You had Jurgen Klinsmann there, uh, some, you know, heads of NBC Sports and Fox Sports and just a, a real uh, tremendous lineup of conversations. I know from doing the sports PR summit, it's great when you put together a great event, but then as soon as it's over, it's like, all right, back to the drawing board. You've got to, you've got to somehow top that for the next year. How do you top what you did in year one? Cause it was really, uh, an incredible lineup. I don't know. It's a really good problem to have, but it's one that weighs on me very heavily. I mean, I, I'm very thrilled. We were so, so lucky to have the speakers we had last year and we just set the bar so high in our first year that, um, you know, I'm getting, I, I have panic attacks about it, to be honest with you. I mean, not nothing literal, but I'm just, it's exciting. I think what we were able to show with our programming last year and our platform is that we are providing sort of a unique opportunity in the sports event space that doesn't currently exist. So, you know, the word on the street as I go around and talk to people at the very various franchises and leagues and teams and uh, media properties is that is that they all want to be a part of it. So it's just about identifying um, for us what are the really meaty topics and, you know, issues that are, that are facing the world of sports, you know, thinking about how we are as a culture developing um, within the context of sports, the global aspects of it, what's sort of the most relevant current um, issues affecting the world of sports, whether it's cultural or technological, uh, and then trying to find the best people to address those issues. I mean, you had some really interesting topics for year one, 24-hour sports in the age of bite-sized content. You had arena versus couch, the battle of game day experience. You even had drones in sports, the sky's the limit, a real diverse mix of panel discussions. One of the things that you do, and I want you to talk about this, is something called Panel Picker, where you invite the public and people who work in the industry to come up with panel topics, and then deliver on those panel topic <laughs> ideas. Explain how that works for our audience, because we have a lot of people who work in the sports industry that listen to this show, and they may be interested in putting together something to submit for your panel picker. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's, it's absolutely an incredible tool for us that um, launched originally with the Interactive Festival maybe in 2009, and then the Film and Music Festival was adopted a couple years following. Um, so essentially what it is, is it's an online submission tool and we use it. Um, there's sort of an open submission period for a month in the summer where anyone in our community can propose a panel idea, um, a topic they're interested in, or if they'd like to propose themselves as, as a speaker, this is the route to do so. So it has to be pretty fully fleshed out. You know, we sort of, um, it's a bit Darwinian in sort of the sense of if, you know, it's, it's a bit of a test to see if you can fill out a panel proposal well and thoughtfully and describe what you want to convey in a panel, you know, how the questions you want to take to answer and address as well as, you know, a creative title. And then, you know, you have to deliver on these panelists. You propose the panelists at the time of the, the submission. So um, it allows for our community to really think through what they would like to see and then hopefully help put it forth and, and shine a light on the topics that are, that are really pressing for them um, and within their respective industries, and in this case for sports. And then what happens is following that open submission period, which is actually open right now, it launched on July 1st, and it will be open through July 25th, 
Um, the the other element, which is super cool, is this open voting period. So once again, everybody in the community has an opportunity to sort of take a look at what's been proposed and give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, rating in the sense of I would want to see this at South by Southwest or no, I probably wouldn't. And so that gives both the panelist proposals um, an opportunity to promote themselves and align with South by Southwest and and get buzz going for their for their ideas and their topics. Um, and sort of you can do a campaign, say, you know, vote for my panel at South by Southwest kind of thing. Um, and it also provides for us a really terrific temperature read on what our community is excited about. So, you know, there will be a few things that immediately rise to the top in terms of excitement level, and there will be some things that don't gain a lot of traction. But what's also great about it is that it gives us a sense of um, of scale and volume of, of what's really pressing for people. So, for example, you know, you mentioned a panel we had last year, um, called Arena versus Couch. So it's this idea of, you know, in-game experience and and um, how to get people in the stadium versus how they're experiencing sports on, you know, at home. And that is a topic that, you know, I expect we're going to get a number of submissions on. So for me, if I get a topic, you know, like that, that's got 15 panel submissions, that's obviously something we should be featuring. But then what we'll do on our on our programming curation side is take a look at those submissions and say, okay, which is the the best and most pressing or interesting angle? Maybe it's this guy, you know, guy X, and then maybe the person who submitted panel Y might have the most qualified panelists. So from the from from our end, we'll be sort of still have a heavy hand in the curation um, through the sourcing of the panel picker. Uh, but it's a really terrific tool. You know, the, the community voting is not the end-all determinant for whether something gets into South by, but it's a great, great helpful tool for us. Out of all of your panels, how many will be determined by panel picker? Um, well, all will come in through panel picker for our infrastructure system. I mean, that's how things get into our database. So we will still be hand curating things, but ultimately people will have to have had something in the panel picker. So, like I said, the the voting element isn't necessarily the ultimate deciding factor, but that's our organizational structure by which we um, confirm and secure panel. What is the website that people go to if they want to find Panel Picker and submit a proposal? It's pretty simple. It's just panelpicker.sxsw.com. And for sports proposals in particular, it's important that you would submit – You would sub- uh, to an interactive session. So there's an option when you get to the homepage for Panel Picker to submit an idea for film or music or interactive. And um, for sports in particular, we're going to be accepting submissions through the interactive Panel Picker. And then there's a couple different categorizations once you start that process, one of which is a drop-down menu for theme. So you'd want to select sports within that. Then it'll make sure that we will we'll get our eyes on it as, as, uh, as easily as possible. And again, the deadline is July 25th, correct? Correct. All right, so people listening want to get that submission in right away. I'm joined by Rebecca Pfefferman. She's the head of South by Sports. You can follow her on Twitter. A good follow, at Reb Pfeff, R-A-B-F-E-F. Austin, home of South by Southwest. Was there ever any thought to taking the sports part of this event and moving it somewhere else as a standalone event, or does it fit in perfectly with South by Southwest and that audience? I think for now it fits in perfectly with with the context of what we have because one of what's one of the things that makes it so cool and such a great opportunity for the sports industry that is that you've got access to all these other creative industries in one place where you wouldn't normally be connecting with those people either from you know a presentation side or from a I'm standing in line next to you and 
maybe you've got an app that you've developed that I would never know how to sports application and you would never know how to sports application, but then suddenly we're talking and chatting and now we're doing business together. So, uh, you know, the audience and the attendees for South by Southwest overall, being in the space for South by Sports provides a whole nother dynamic um, and energy, quite honestly, that, that that is really exciting for the opportunity for, for people who are attending for South by Sports. So we're sort of looking at our programming in the sense of, yes, it's for the sports business. It's it's meant to be highlighting all of the most relevant and interesting um, areas that are that are uh, addressing the sports industry in terms of the future of sport. Um, there's sort of two main points of view in how we're programming. One is this cultural view and one is the technological view. But what our audience is, is a combination of sports industry and then folks from the film industry or the tech industry who um, are not necessarily working in sports but are engaged consumers and fans. So you've got a mix of those people in the room. It changes the entire dynamic. It's less, you know, B2B and you've got really sort of new questions being asked in these panels um, and a really excited fan base essentially um, of early adopters and, and digital creatives, people who are just there and um, doing great things in their own fields. I'm looking forward to attending. I've never been to South by Southwest, so I'm going to do everything in my power to get there uh, next March. And uh, yeah, I've just heard so many good things about it. And I've never been to Austin, believe it or not. Oh, so uh, I'm excited about visiting Austin because I hear it's a, a tremendous city and, and lots of fun as well. Yeah, well, we, we certainly want you here. I mean, it's I, I always get a kick out of people who say they love Austin after South by Southwest because Austin is a different feel than South by. I mean, it's you get the you get the flavor of Austin, but there's a hundred thousand people in town in downtown Austin, all running around and being <laughs> excited, and that's a it's a bit different than the your your average Thursday. Um, but it is a it's a tremendous experience, and there's sort of a crackling energy in the air you just can't find anywhere else. So our audience always finds it interesting to figure out the background of the people who work in sports, who have risen to where they have risen to. So give us a little background on you and how you got to where you are right now. What was your path? Well, um, I don't come through a direct sports path, actually. I'm um, My background is in entertainment and uh, film and talent stuff. So I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I grew up um, following Michigan sports, actually, University of Michigan, because my folks went there and my grandparents went there. And then you know, wouldn't you know, I ended up going to the University of Michigan as well. Um, and I have a big brother, and I always played sports, and I was a tomboy, probably still am in some form, um, for many, many years. And uh, I was just always a big sports fan. And even when I was at the University of Michigan, my senior year, I actually put together a project um, called the Blue Out to help, you know, unite all the fans in one color. And it was the sort of thing that had never there'd never been a concerted effort to um, energize the fan base at the big house, which is of course one of the most legendary stadiums in sports history. So for me, it was a really tremendous opportunity. And I was, you know, I was wrote it, writing press releases and talking to media. And it was very, uh, very cool, exciting experience for me professionally, even though I was still in college. And what ended up resulting from that was actually um, that we worked with the athletic department pretty closely and they saw the success of the blue out, which then, turned them um, towards developing a season t-shirt program that they sold with student um, student season tickets that's now been going on for, um, you know, however many years I've, since it's been since I left college, I won't say. But, um, <laughs> but it continues to this day. So actually until South by Sports, that was one of my 
shining, crowning achievements in my career. Um, and I was always the most excited about it. I've never hadn't been that jazzed about anything um, until now. So in between there, you know, I was actually really keen to work in entertainment PR. And I moved out to Los Angeles after I graduated college. And I worked at Warner Brothers in their publicity department. And then I went on to represent actors for many years as a publicist um, doing talent PR. And after a while of doing that, I had great clients who were talented and kind people because that job on, you know, was a sliding scale of uh, complex, <laughs> I would say. Um, to say but the I least. Had, to say the least, yeah. I mean, it's a very full-time job, a very full-time business. Um, and, uh, you know, in some some days it's tantamount to adult babysitting. On, on other days, it's, you're building somebody's career and that couldn't be more exciting. Um, but ultimately I decided that I wanted to have a bit more of a balanced life uh, that wasn't so industry focused. And so I up and left Los Angeles and moved to Austin in 2008 um, to be closer to some family and have hobbies and things of that nature. And uh, it was just the best move I've ever made. So once I, once I got to Austin, I started working at South by Southwest, fortunately, and was originally running the media relations for the film festival and um, sort of developed into a programming role there as well because of my background in, in, in Hollywood, I guess I would say. So I was programming a lot of our uh, larger films and, and negotiating some of our, our big speakers. And then, and then that's how I got into the sports stuff. So ultimately the sports where I'm at now with, with South by sports is born out of my passion and my excitement for the, as a sports fan and a consumer. So I'm, it's funny, I'm on sports biz radio, but I feel like I'm a total newbie to sports biz and, and I'm in a bit of a crash course learning experience with it. Um, but that's just, you know, fun and exciting. Well, you're doing a great job. And like I said, uh, I've been an admirer from afar and it was so great to meet you in New York at the sports PR summit. And I think you've just done an amazing job with South by sports. And, uh, like I said, hopefully, uh, I'm going to be there in March and, uh, I really appreciate you taking time to, Join me on Sports Business Radio. And again, remind people how they can submit ideas on Panel Picker. Yes, you'll just go to panelpicker.sxsw.com and select an interactive session and then make sure you tag the theme as sports. And I look forward to reading them all. And you're on Twitter at SXSW, right? That's the South by Southwest Twitter handle. That is the official South by handle, yep. And then uh, I'm at RebFef, which is just the first three letters of my first and last name, uh, R-E-B-F-E-F. Well, Rebecca, I appreciate you taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what ideas are submitted and being at your event in March. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it, and I and I enjoyed your event as well. We, you know, I know we talked about... <laughs> The challenge of programming, and, and I think you guys did it. You just knocked it out of the park. I really had a great time there. So thank you so much again for having me as well. Thank you for being there. It was great to have you there. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. I'd like to make myself Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thank you to our guest, Peter Rupe, the president of Alchemy Global. Thanks to Rebecca Pfefferman, the head of South by Sports, which is part of the terrific uh, South by Southwest lineup that's going to take place in March in Austin. Really enjoyed conversations with both of them. Thank you to our show staff, Brian Griggs, our executive producer, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. Our show will be immediately downloaded to your mobile device. Uh, we're also on a number of different apps, whether it's Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, uh, or the Swell app. You can also find us on our website. We post our shows on the website, sportsbusinessradio.com. Look in the podcast section. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm tweeting often at SB Radio. Again, for Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With the goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503 701 2215.